David Lynch said, the more unknowable the mystery, the more beautiful it is. And I think the UFO phenomenon is a very beautiful mystery. Welcome to Invisible Night School. Let's recap. On March 8, 1994, 9 p.m., in Grand Haven, Michigan, Cindy Pravda witnesses four large glowing objects out her kitchen window. She watches them for about half an hour as they silently hover. The outermost light seems to shoot off and then return shortly after. The lights then leave in an instant. 9.30 p.m., a little more than 20 miles south, the Graves family all see a circular formation of lights like a string of Christmas lights up in the air, traveling above the farmhouse across the street. At the same time, two blocks to the northwest, three men see the same lights from the second-story balcony. Both groups, along with several other witnesses, call 911 and describe what they're seeing. In fact, the dispatch operator gets so many calls, he decides to call the National Weather Service office in Muskegon to see if they're visible on radar. This call happens at approximately 9.41 p.m. Two minutes later, Officer Velthaus arrives at the Graves' home to see that the object is split into two groups and are moving further south. At the very same time, National Weather Service radar operator Jack Bouchong is tracking multiple bright returns on his weather radar. Narrating the experience to the 911 operator, these returns move at alarming speeds and erratic motions, much like the eyewitness descriptions. Jack continues to follow these objects on radar as they meet up with a larger group and begin to swarm the southern part of Lake Michigan like a beehive. Their final location happens to be the only region of the lake that is not frozen over that night. It's surprising to find a new lead in a case that's nearly 30 years old, but that's precisely what happened last week. I'd like to introduce Susie. She was 14 at the time of the event, and she and her mother had just returned home from school. This is her experience. So I was just outside, just chilling. Obviously, we had a, a good size workout getting ready mm -hmm. for our state championship. And um, so I was on the deck and my mom went inside, get dinner ready for the my siblings and stuff. And um, I just looked up at the sky and I was like, well, that is weird. You know, that's the direction of what I thought was the high school. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what is that? There's definitely not a big light show going on because there's nothing huge going on at that time. Um, so I called my mom. I'm like, Mom, hey, come outside. I There's something odd outside. It's not a plane. I said, it's just just giant glowing object in the air. Mm -hmm. um, and we're both looking at it and we're just staring at it because we're like, this is very, very odd. Now, being my mom is a huge UFO, like sci-fi nerd mm -hmm. she's like it's a ufo i'm like let's just look at everything first before we even consider that as an option you know good yes yeah. i'm the skeptical at this time mm -hmm. um but i'm looking at this and i'm like okay it's not a plane i'm an army brat so i've lived on military bases so i would know what helicopters and all those right interesting planes would look like mm -hmm. um and i'm like because we used to live in italy like two years prior to moving to Holland. So we definitely 
have experience with military planes and stuff. I'm like, it's not a military plane. I'm like, it's just a very bizarre object. And the lights are just so bright. And then once we're staring at it, then it started moving towards us. Um, And then like a split second later, it just shot up straight up in the sky. Not like on an angle, just straight up. Interesting. And I was like, okay, this is very weird, very freaky. Nobody's going to believe us. So we just mm-hmm. kept it hush hush and we're like, hey, if we witness a UFO, sweet. If not, mm-hmm. we'll never know what happens. And obviously, <laughs> the next day, we see it in the Holland Sentinel, we see it on TV that multiple people had called into 911 about this experience. And then Holland Sentinel had posted an article about call this agency. So they can come talk to you about your experience. And then we called the number and they came to our house and interviewed us. So, okay. So so you saw it first. Yes. Okay. What, what compelled you to look up? Just, you just, I was just looking, just reflecting over practice. I think just in general, like, you know, the pressure of, okay, we could have a possibility of winning state. So I'm just, Mm -hmm. you know, reflecting, thinking out loud. Yeah. So you see it and and you bring your mom out. It's hovering over there. It starts to move closer to you. Like how, how long would you say the, du- the duration of the sighting was if you could ballpark it? I would say about a minute. I mean, okay. it was really, really fast. Um, yeah. And since the deck and the kitchen were right next to each other, she came out right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but a minute, I wouldn't say longer than that. So I don't know how long that object was hovering Right. But between the hovering coming towards me and then shooting up and then disappearing, I would say it lasted about a minute. It's too bad okay. cell phones weren't around at that time, but you know. Right. Yeah. It was not a solid light. Um okay. to me, I feel like there were three big lights, like two forward, one on the side. Yeah. Um, that's all I could remember. Cause you know, planes usually have like red lights, white lights, but yeah. it was just it was just a yellow white light. It wasn't yellow white. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't any colorful lights whatsoever. Right. And that's another reason why I thought it was just bizarre that it wasn't a plane because usually they have those other lights as well. And Did there was think- no sound to it either. So it couldn't have been a helicopter either. Right. So. That's what I was just about to ask. Yeah. No sound at all hovering in place, obviously. And then it, you said it shot directly up. Yeah. Not on an angle. It just went straight up. And that's what I thought was the most bizarre out of thing. Cause I thought, okay, it's coming towards me, helicopter plane, maybe mm-hmm. whatever. But the fact that it just went straight up like this, I knew something was bizarre. It's really interesting too, because uh, Jack Bouchong, the radar operator that night, that's exactly how he de- he described them moving at first was uh, he got them on a scope and they kind of, there was multiples and they formed kind of a triangular formation, but they were shooting up, like staying in one place, but sh- shooting up and down in that plane. It, uh, yeah, the, the behavior sounds exactly the same, which is really, it's even more compelling to me. So um, you said you guys called somebody the next day. Did you guys get interviewed? We did get interviewed. They came. Uh, it was a female. She came over mm-hmm. to our house and just asked us about the event and just asked us questions and describe it as best that we could. And my mom, I mean, obviously, I was the first one to go. But then my mom and I mm-hmm. pretty much said the same thing. So did you ever hear back from them? No. Interesting. fact, no one had heard back from them. 
They did publish part one of an article in the MUFON UFO Journal, in which they claimed to have been in the process of interviewing more than 300 witnesses and had obtained 10 videotapes and more than a dozen photographs, none of which have been released. Neither has part two. Michael Swords describes the following days in his 1999 article in QFOS's International UFO Reporter. Quote, A major circus developed that greatly hampered investigations. Some people were harassed to the point of informing the local sheriff's office that they were in no way to give their names out or any interactions with investigators facilitated. When I reached out to the state director of Michigan MUFON, he had the following to say. For several reasons, MUFON typically represents its information directly for public consumption rather than broadly distributing her files. After some digging around, a former MUFON investigator reached out to me about their experience with the group. This is what they said. I was a field investigator with them for a few years before I went out on my own. Unfortunately, the habit of hoarding evidence is all too common for MUFON, one of several reasons I cut ties with them. Probably the best evidence of this behavior is the testimony of witnesses who've had MUFON do it to them. Part of the reason I left was because I felt like cases were dismissed unfairly. Since leaving, I've heard from people who've attempted to report their sightings to MUFON that they felt like they were being interrogated rather than interviewed. Personally, I think MUFON is so focused on finding credibility through mainstream science that they've completely lost sight of the fact that there are real human beings affected by these experiences. From a business standpoint, they don't want to share their cases and data because they want exclusive rights to them so they can publish or televise them later. It's easier for them to have a blanket policy of non-disclosure than it is to try and immediately recognize which reports might be the most lucrative later. And of course, they're only too happy to speak with the media. That's free publicity. So why bury this case? they truly do have more witness interviews and a dozen photos and videos, why not release them? I suspect that as this case is now only beginning to develop after nearly 30 years, we might hear from them again. Meanwhile, I'll continue to cover the many facets of this fascinating event. In fact, I'm currently waiting for the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration to get back to me about a cassette tape that may or may not exist. Next time, I'll be covering a less conventional aspect of the story. If you're listening to this, you very likely have an idea of what you think the UFO phenomenon is. Whether you believe in the ET hypothesis, or that they're extra-dimensional, time travelers, top-secret experimental aircraft, or that all sightings fall into categories of either misidentifications or hoaxes, I'm going to ask you to forget all of that. As Morris K. Jessup wrote in his editorial, The Future of Ufology, A Plea and a Warning, let's show tolerance for the viewpoints of others until they are proven wrong, and refrain from positive statements until we are proven right. For now, class dismissed. I want to give a special thanks to Susie Weldon, Jason Skarman, and Tobias for help with this episode. Again, if you have any questions or comments or feedback, please send it to invisiblenightschool at gmail.com.